Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Rich, how often do you think about Rome? Every day, Grace. Rome season one, episode four, Stealing from Saturn is over. We're in post recaps. We are just getting started. My name is Grace, but of course I'm not alone. I'm here with my co-host DM Philly. Philly, how you doing? I'm so good. I'm really enjoying the fall of Rome. It's been pretty good. Yeah, the fall of Rome here on Post Show Recaps, where we recap an episode of Rome every weekday in October. Make sure you subscribe, postshowrecaps.com slash Rome. Ratings and reviews are very helpful as we're in the first week of this project. Rich, we're four episodes in. This is a quarter of the way through season one, a third of the way through season one, I believe. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stealing from Saturn, what'd you make of this episode? A Tale of Two Feasts. A tale of two feasts, indeed. I love this one. I love, uh, I love being in Rome. He made it, Grace. He finally oh, made it. He cool. has arrived. Have you heard the news? Mm, Julius Caesar in Rome. What a, what a surprise. What a delight. I love it. I love that we're in the city of Rome. I was really fortunate. I talked about it a little bit, I think, in the episode one pod that I get to um, like go to like kind of an international high school. And my junior mm. year was very focused on uh, on Renaissance history in Italy specifically. And so this is a much later time period. But I got to travel to Rome. I've been there a couple of times and it's cool. an awesome city. And it's just like so incredible to me as a person who has um, been born and raised on the North American continent to mm. Consider how old all of it is. This is a very long time ago, right? And I, I just love getting to see like Rome alive in that way. I talked last episode about like the stark contrast between it being empty as uh, the strategic withdrawal was taking place compared to those first few. But this is like some life in Rome, you know, life with the haves, life with the regular folks. And I dig it. And I gave a real good slice of life of, of uh, the times, right? Yeah, I like this as as well. I feel like, um, again, I feel like I, I definitely Veronis and and Pulo. I feel like really elevating this show for me to a degree in which, um, you know, I think that the Caesar stuff was a little bit like this episode. And I know, and and it's because he's much more present in this episode than he has been in in the past. But um, yeah, we'll talk through it. Let me give a quick plot recap. So as I said, a tale of two feasts. Caesar's throwing a party where he plans on winning loyalty through coin, though he does not have much. Meanwhile, Veronis is hosting a feast, seemingly as is tradition when you start a new business venture. It is going well until lied. Niobe's sister makes a scene. Uh, Lied's sister, uh, husband, sorry, does not seemingly love her. Instead, he loves Niobe and is the father of her son. He is Evander the Butcher. Things get worse when Quintus Pompey arrives looking for the gold that was taken from the wagon. Pulo arrives in the nick of time and helps fight them off. Pulo does not want to give the money back. He eventually does listen to Veronis and takes Quintus to Caesar, informing him of the treasury gold in his possession. Caesar sends Quintus back to his father with a truce agreement, and shortly after, Caesar has a seizure and has to be hidden as so his condition not be seen publicly. 
However, things seem to be going pretty well for Caesar. He spends a nice night with Servilia, and in the morning, the auger fakes a good omen for Caesar as the people of Rome watch the birds fly into the sky, and that is stealing from Saturn. What's the I headline, love, Rich? Yeah. Uh, it's for me, it's the fake omen. It just reminds me of yeah. the great beloved Chevy Chase classic funny farm where he's trying to sell his house and he has to tell them, cue the deer while like <laughs> the people are like uh, uh -huh. doing the open house and he's got like the locals out back with this deer in a cage that they let loose. I love like anything like this that like fulfills and supports the weird like prophecy and the beliefs of the people at the time. And like, yeah, it's the same like smoke and mirrors that we use now, just with less cgi you know yeah um, like yeah. i really love it grace this whole like misdirect i'm obviously being a little bit ridiculous to like point that out but uh, i think the headline is like caesar's arrival in rome right yeah he's here i i think that what i was saying in terms of i think this might be my least favorite episode so far mm -hmm. and i think it's that i think caesar in rome i was maybe expecting a little bit more it, it feels like he he you know, works with this, the, the, the auger. And he said that, you know, this idea of like, you know, he won't touch religion. Religion is separate. I'll pay you a lot of money that I don't really have, but I will do it so that you're on my side and you will, you know, you will do what you need to do to help support me. And that's like, that's a, you know, a good enough story on its, on its own is Caesar's political power play to make sure that um, the religious aspects of Rome are sort of in his, his pocket, or at least uh, protecting him. I maybe wanted a little bit more of this stuff that it's, it's just the one guy he's seemingly like, it's not just the one guy he's offering money to many people mm -hmm. to basically, he, he wants to rule through, you know, he wants, he does wants to avoid as much bloodshed as possible, as is uh, the case when he sends the truce agreement back to um, uh, back to Pompey. Although, as his uh, nephew notes, like you send him truce agreements, he can't possibly agree to. Um, but I maybe wanted like I I think for me there uh, I think the balance between Pulo and Veronis sort of as like the common man within the political power plan I think has been really interesting, and it's interesting because I think it's so far the show has showed it to us through. Pompey's incompetence mm -hmm. and basically once we like flipped it and it's like Caesar I, I maybe just wanted we've seen so much Pompey incompetence I know it's over the course of three episodes and I maybe wanted more wheeling and dealing from Caesar but you know I thought that the for the most part I thought it was a good episode it just maybe is my least favorite so far I think that's really fair. Caesar doesn't do anything like wildly impressive here, right? And I think very notably, Grace, this is the lightest, tightest Pulo episode that we get. And there's something to be said about that. I do think like, you know, Ray Stevenson sadly departed uh, as a pretty young man, as we identified a couple of weeks ago. And it, and it's, the guy's a great performer. He really just brings something intangible to these roles. There's a charisma there that I think like transcends the television screen and and just makes him very compelling. Titus Pulo is a well-written character. And, and we talked a bunch last week about like, or yesterday, I should say, in yeah. terms of whether or not like he's an evil man. Can we call him a good man? Do we, are we okay? Like standing Pulo to a degree, but I do think he's like uh, electric and compelling and very fun to watch. And I very much felt the, like his absence this episode in terms of like the way that we've like, so focused in on the kind of humor that we've gotten and like the back and forth with him and Veronis, like Veronis is not as fun for me without Pulo, like in his orbit, right? It all gets like much more interesting once Pulo shows up in the 11th hour. 
I yeah, I mean, I I do think that the stuff with um, Veronis and Niobe is interesting, and in that she seemingly does want to make this work as Veronis has um, made. Uh, you know, a a, a, you know, he's acknowledged that he would like to try to change. Yeah, uh, that he wants to be around. That he is not going to go back to war. Um, he gets. Uh, uh, is this the episode with the naked Mark Antony? We this is the episode, right? I believe he gets summoned by Mark Antony. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and he's fully nude. Uh, what is what is being done to him? Do you know what's being done to him? He's being like, it looks like massaged or like, I can't tell what's happening. Do you know what's happening in this scene? I wasn't sure. I thought they might have been washing him. Uh, but like early on, there's like Caesar sitting there and they're like massaging Caesar as he's in like his chair and like episode one out at the legions. So it could just be like a full body massage thing. But I thought they're like cleaning him. I thought that those were like his slaves washing him up. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So he's summoning. He says like, no, I'm not going, I'm, I will not be going back. He does get this offer that he will essentially, um, I want to make sure I get the, the name right, but that he would be sort of given, um, he'd be given like rank, right? That's yeah. kind of what he's talking about. They're saying like, they'll give him like a pretty powerful rank and then they offer him a bunch of money, Signing which is like bonus, yeah. an exorbitant amount of wealth compared to like what an average person makes, what he already has accumulated. Right. He kind of comes back and is like, Oh, I've got like these 10,000 to carry worth of slaves. And that like, it, it becomes its own animal and goes sideways, obviously. Right. But fundamentally this, the wealth that is like offered to him in this moment is like life changing, incredible amount of money. So it's um, the Avocati, which is what he's offered, which is somebody who has served out his time and obtained an honorable discharge, but is volunteer enlisted again uh, at the invitation of somebody. Um, so in this case, Caesar. Um, and so it would come with uh, with with money, obviously, and uh, and and rank that you could you you know elevates you in society essentially. Um, so that's what he's offered, and he declines. Um, so yeah, he's he's committed to making it work, but obviously. Everything that's happening with um, uh, Evander still trying to persuade Niobe, seemingly lied, at least knows. Do you get the impression that, and you might know this because you've watched, you've, you've watched, she knows specifically that Evander and Niobe are together or she just knows that Evander is being not faithful to her? What impression did you get? I got the impression that when she comes and she's like, hey, we made an agreement not to say anything. She knows exactly, that lied knows exactly that that's the impression i get as well yeah. from when i watch episode four right there's the whole beat of like the other woman who like naomi's got some good friends right this is a real conspiracy to keep this like baby's yeah. lineage under wraps yeah. it's like i told you not to invite your sister here <laughs> like oh. what are you doing as her sister is like getting into her libations and going sideways like i think we're supposed to read it that way that like everybody knows except for ennis right bad news don't like yeah. that don't yeah, like it feels really bad. So yeah. she has, he's like, I'm going to hang around. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, when the baby's crying, right? And you're like, I think Niobe's going to maybe have to feed the baby. It's like, but that can't happen right now. So, uh, you know, and he's checking on the baby, right? He's hanging out with the baby. Yeah, he's know? very excited to sit and play with the baby. Uh, oh. This is like so excited. Thank you for bringing the pig. I don't know where we would have gotten any meat, you know? It's good to have a friend who's a butcher. It's like, you know, yeah. it's really, um, I, I talked about it, I think, during episode two, but I think there's great 
just relatable interpersonal drama here you know i think that's part of why men think about the roman empire every day Chris. Mm. so much of this stuff translates i talk about like the edifices of literal society civilization law that we still uphold right the amount of latin that still exists as like fundamental parts of like the at least american political structure uh, these ideas of like the power of the veto and stuff but certain things just transcend time and space like this has happened before it will happen again like oh the story of like the man who has like an unfaithful spouse and doesn't know how to be a good husband or a good father and like she has this uh, loves him but doesn't and can they fix it and will they and won't they you know well what i what i like about the story is that i think that niobe is i don't think that she's really done anything wrong from no, we talked last not. you talked last week about Veronus being maybe like the better man because he's like like i'm saying that as in like the context of like romans would think he is the yes. better man than pulo not yes. like you you know putting your judgment on him but and the thing i almost said last time is like yes it's true and obviously though like yeah, if you follow unjust laws, then like, yeah, you're being lawful, but like, you know, that's also bad. And so I feel like um, the thing that Niobe has done wrong, seemingly, is like, even if she thought her husband was dead, she probably should like to have a baby should remain. I don't know what like babies out of wedlock in like Roman culture. Um, but like Evander is married to her sister. So, you know, pretty, pretty messy. But she also did think that he was dead. Like she legitimately thought he was dead. So this like the mess that she's sort of found herself in, I don't feel like she's like fully uh what's the right word here? Like that she's like culpable or whatever. Yeah, like, or that, you know, like it's it's reasonable, it's understandable to to a degree, I think, in terms of the situation that she's found herself in that like this could yeah, that makes sense that this would have happened where she thought her husband died, she found comfort somewhere else. Probably bad that it's her brother in law, but you know, it is what it is. That's what I'm saying. There's like a whole series of decisions from both of them, right? Like Veronis is definitely like the better man in that sense of like Roman culture in that like he reveres the gods. He listens to his superiors. He sh he's trying to honor well, his wife. There's like, a whole thing that this episode where he's like, yeah, I'm going to do like import goods. And he's like, you know, like food and stuff and like slaves slaves like, oh, slaves cool, really awesome. looking to work slaves professional yeah. job he says it multiple times yeah, yeah and again like we go back to him like talking about his daughter this is my property right. you should have asked my permission before you slept with her right. like yeah this is really like again like i think that all of them within the context of like a modern lens their their behavior is not like uh objectively acceptable in that that lens right but when you look at like niobe's specifically like was it wrong of her to like seek comfort in uh in another man to like find a lover when she thought her husband was dead no was it wrong for her to choose her sister's husband probably well, you, know? you know was it wrong for her to like give birth to this baby no of course not. was it wrong for her to like immediately lie to her husband and implicate her daughter as like the secret mother of yeah, this child and like maybe. build this conspiracy of life? maybe you know so like there's a lot of shades of gray here that i think are like just infinitely compelling i say it all the time in these podcast grace i'm sure you've heard me say it a thousand times but like the the one thing like the best thing to write about to like rephrase it is the conflict between good and evil in a person's heart right and yeah. the way we're like pulled in these different directions and i don't necessarily think like a lot of these decisions within the context of like the roman culture of the time are extraordinarily good or evil compared to the behavior of a lot of the other people they're human 
right? Some of them are weak and some of them are strong. Some of them are admirable and some of them are contemptible, you know? Um, but there's like certainly interest in all the drama that it's generating. And I think the fun thing is basically Veronis being like, I'm going to, I'm going to stay. I, I do presume we are at some point nearing conflict. Uh, I don't think we enter a civil war <laughs> without conflict. So I presume there's the chance that Veronis does actually end up going to war with Pulo uh, sure. on behalf of Caesar. But for the time being, this like testament that I'm going to stay and be a good man is so complicating. <laughs> like, And she's, she's trying to be like, Evander, you have to leave. I think it's really interesting that Pula does potentially sort of see, and uh, it is implied that he becomes slightly aware that there might be something between those two people, mm -hmm. at least a secret. Pulo so. is a pretty uh, world-wise man. He's street smart, right? If he were on Survivor, that's what he'd be telling He you, knows right? when a woman is trying to tell a man to please leave yeah. me alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. He definitely, I think we should understand, like, knows what he's seeing, right? And we'll see what happens with, like, the mounting conflict. I kind of love this uh, calm before the storm or whatever we want to kind of call it. The way that this whole conflict has been and so peaceable it's a real thorn in the side of pompey right that that like people are telling him but like caesar's like not actually doing anything that terrible yet but i just want to hone back in on on veronis for a second in terms yes. of why he stays that i think is so like interesting and like they don't go out of their way to like spell it out to us but this notion that he's like the strict catonian like he's looking at caesar as a criminal he is of yeah. the mind that like this yeah. is illegal like yeah. this is not how roman culture works he is breaking law he is not like operating within the bounds of what's like acceptable within like this civilized world and i refuse to support him despite the exorbitant amount of wealth that you're offering me it's not just a motivation that like oh i want to like have this life at home with my wife and family right it is really like very much about his morality and the fact that ultimately he believes that this is like unjust that this is like an unacceptable path for Forward, right they talk about it a little bit last episode even as like they're they're closing in on rome and, and whatever but it makes it really an interesting motivation it's like you talk about that nude mark anthony scene and mark anthony does everything short of like beg the guy like please please like come back and stay with us because he kind of vouched for him to caesar in terms of like he'd follow these he's loyal pluto's yeah, office right? right he's like a 13th legion man he's saying to veronis like are you okay with the 13th legion is going to suit up without you without you he's like appealing to his pride to his honor to his loyalty to the men and then to his greed with money and none of this is enough to like sway veronis from his belief that like no this is wrong I will not like I'm going to go to the temples and like try to beg forgiveness for even like my implications and all of this thus far. It's really interesting. Right. I'll, I'll say it now. I was going to save it for maybe my, uh, the, you know, scene dialogue. I love this exchange where, where um, they're talking about, uh, he says, I've served my time. Once I was over the Rubicon, soldiers become citizens. And Mark Antony says, well, you know, things change. Life is water, not stone. And he says, then I suppose I will drown, which I think we are learning that Vronis was loyal, maybe, but also maybe stubborn. So, yeah. You know, do you know, it's really interesting. I actually think this is a, a good time to bring this up. Speaking of like, why do people think about the Roman Empire? Men. Yeah, please. But one of the things I think is really interesting is this show comes out in 2005, I believe, right? Yes. I think it's really interesting to examine this show, which is essentially, you know, how did Julius Caesar become the empire? How did, how did a republic become 
a dictatorship, an empire. An empire. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting to sit and examine it after, you know, in the time period we are now. I feel like certainly there was like political controversy even in the United States of America in 2005. Oh, yeah. But I feel like, you know, it does feel like over the last, you know, probably since, you know, 2016, mm -hmm. that the institutions of American democracy feel like they can crumble far more easily than they, they could have, than we would have maybe thought in 2005. Because one of the things I'm thinking is, if you made, if Rome came, if they said HBO, Rome, Rome 2005 show never exists. They're, they're starting it now. They're doing mm -hmm. it. Do you think that Julius Caesar gets quite, I mean, he, he, he's capable, but do you think he gets as much of a glowing, uh, you know, image as a man who basically <laughs> ends a democracy? Do you think that he is portrayed differently than he is? Or is this like, it's such a different time. Julius Caesar was a bit of an enigma in terms of the person he was. And this is what happened. And even if he's a capable man, he, you know, he founded an empire. So I, I just, I'm wondering over the, because I feel like we're in a very different time than 2000. We are, we are. And I think that that's really insightful. You know, I think that there's something to be said for like the institutions of power can only uphold themselves so long as like the citizenry believes in them. It's kind of like currency, right? There, right. There's like faith there that keeps the whole thing floating fundamentally. Uh, I think that I would say like, we're only 30% of the way through season one, right? Uh, Wait, so I, this is the probably the like not in terms of like whether or not he's capable doesn't matter this is the most like uh you know i feel like there's a difference between like the military might that he's using and then this and he's like writing an injustice and this is like oh i'm using religion to dupe the people into thinking yes. i am the uh, right so i think yes. there is a big difference so yeah. yeah, there is. I just think that uh, I would say like it's a I think that you're on to something for sure in terms of the way that it would be portrayed. I think that there's a certain element when we're dealing with like historical figures from this far back that are this big and this iconic that there's a mythology around it that we like to revere regardless of kind of the truth of the matter. I think when you put it in the context of its time in 2005, uh, there's a series of Star Wars films that came out around that time that are about the fall of a republic and the rise of an empire is very much like inspired on this is a very di different depiction of like mm -hmm. savvy political manipulator that is able to seize control amidst thunderous applause grace i think you're on the heels of gladiator and russell crowe who like steals an oscar from my boy tom hanks that mm -hmm. somehow made me weep a thousand times talking to a volleyball like there's there's <laughs> a lot of hype at this time about the roman empire there's a reason oh, yeah. that there's a generation of men on tiktok telling you that they think about the roman empire every four days right so I do think the depiction of Caesar would be different if we did it now. That being said, like, we'll We're see. We're only four episodes in. That's a good point. Yeah. And like, you know, this is the beginning of the story of Caesar seizing power. Say that six Caesar. times. Yeah. Caesar seizing Caesar salad. Well, I don't know if this is an elegant segue, but Caesar, uh, he he's in addition to the, um, you know, he's he's paying out coin to the auger he's you know um you know he's hanging out at his party uh he they quintus is delivered to him tied up he's going to send him back which uh many people disagree that he should do this but he's going to do that and he as his first maybe publicly like i guess he doesn't publicly shame him he privately says please don't shame me in public mark Antony. yeah a little conflict there um but he, shortly after he's going to have a seizure 
and uh this is is seemingly true well not seemingly uh from all accounts this is true that he had epilepsy most people mm -hmm. uh most historians believe that it was probably due to another condition something like malaria that then caused him to have um epilepsy this is something i had no idea uh was part of julius caesar's history that he had uh epilepsy uh, yeah, I did not know this. Yeah, this is like a really big deal. I mean, I've heard about it many times, you know, and I always wonder as to like how we have these records. But again, like there were pretty decent records of the Roman Empire. There's pretty good like history recounted there. It's like there's a reason that I'm talking about the Winter King with Prez. It's, and it's this kind of gritty retelling of the Arthurian legend, but it's rooted in history and it's rooted in like the fifth century. So we're in like late 400s Britain. But that's like, you know, it's traditionally called the Dark Age is because there's this loss of history and it coincides with the fall of the Roman Empire where like a lot of the records that were kept prior are destroyed by the indigenous peoples of the various like colonized kind of places that Rome hit. So I think that it's really fascinating to me to see the depiction and like I, I love that there's an inclusion of that in the show and again this whole thing of like perception is reality uh, in a very real way especially for these men of like power and notoriety that are like trying to lead these civilizations that don't have uh, mass media, right? Or like means of like communication in that way. We don't even have a printing press, right? So there's really some interesting stuff happening there. And, and the whole like epileptic beat, the way that like Octavian is kind of like involved in the secret to a degree is pretty interesting, right? But it's a really notable little like, um, yeah, like thing about Caesar in the, in the records. It's, it's fascinating to me that he, ha mm -hmm. and that, that uh, it was something I don't really know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I think like Caesar is famous for. So the fact that like yeah, him being, mm -hmm. I, it just has never really come upon my radar, but it's interesting that a, like this very powerful man, this person, mm -hmm. you know, would have um, what many would see and, and why they decide to hide it again of the time that it would, it would be seen as this weakness. How could he be, you know, he says, I mean, they name Apollo, who's like the sun god, right? Apollo is like a pretty big deal among the pantheon. And they're like, yeah, he cursed him. Yeah. Like, we can't let anybody know that he's cursed yeah. by Apollo, you know? And the way that, again, you have this seemingly at face value religious statement from somebody of fact, right? We don't need a doctor. He's cursed by the gods. Yeah. Like, we just need to kind of push through it, right? Yeah. And then we're going to end the episode with like this whole falsification of the behavior of the gods, right? right. That like there is right. this real juxtaposition there of like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost to an extent right it's really interesting i find that bit like uh, very fascinating okay the most interesting thing i found about searching about this uh him having epilepsy some people actually think that he did not have epilepsy and that it's another reason mm -hmm. why his seizures would have been uh caused which i think it's fascinating that we can just like know this like you know somebody can like figure out it's how wild. to figure out if they can know that but the the most interesting thing is that like there was there's always been this rumor that Caesar was born via cesarean section, which is actually not named after him, but he actually, and that's why people thought he had epilepsy, but he was actually never born <laughs> via cesarean section. I think it's like one of the more interesting facts about this whole, it was like people think he had epilepsy because he was born via cesarean section, which is a thing that is not named after him and is a thing that he was not born by. And so it's this whole like, you know, anyway, congruence of weird facts. Anyway, um, Mostly known for the salad, I think. Uh, yeah, the salad is the big yeah. famous thing. You think he's pissed that we haven't seen the salad? Probably. <laughs> yeah, he's probably tweeting about it. Um, yeah. Is there anything else about Caesar? I mean, there's also the... 
you know, um, we get really the first appearance of Calpurnia, his his wife. Um, she's pretty yes. beautiful in this episode. And then, um, uh, well, Servilia. I, and I believe, am I right in assuming that Atia did not know that Servilia was Caesar's mistress? And she basically warns that this. she's like, why was she invited? And then when she like figures that when she sees Caesar talking with Servilia, she sort of like discovers the fact that they are sleeping together. Yeah, I think so. I think that that's like the right read, right? The way that she kind of um, is like poking at her and teasing at her. And there's all these attacks about like Servilia's age and all of that. The like revelation that occurs there, I think is like pretty important. I love this collection of people at Atia's house, right? Atia's house is like where it goes down, Grace. This mm -hmm. is the spot. This is almost like the small council room for us, you know? <laughs> like yeah. it feels like there's just so much drama going on here. But the conflict that like is, is kind of beginning with within these like women is really interesting uh and the dynamic between like servilia and then like caesar and caesar and his wife is its own other animal that i think is really fascinating right yeah and so eventually he at the end of the night after he's had a seizure and she's like well maybe we should go home he's like yeah i'm not gonna go home i got important business to do i gotta like, work she's yeah. like night business he's like yeah you know i don't know and then he goes and hangs out with servilia so. she's like it wouldn't be proper it's not proper but it's necessary again the more things change uh -huh. the more they stay into the same right like uh the eternal excuse of husbands across all time like i've gotta work i've gotta stay and work late grace uh yeah, yeah. i again like you know i don't mean to over index on him but he's just so fun and like vivacious titus pulo showing up to like save Varenas as these guys come i do love uh, it's a real like small note but quintus is played by this guy rick warden who's lieutenant peacock on band of brothers and mm. i really love this actor and this is the only other thing i've seen him in and i'm just like hbo like put this guy in something else um i remember like seeing this after band of brothers and hearing this little accent he's such an insipid little bastard right he's like uh there's not a lot of guys that I love to hate on this show that have emerged yet. Like he's one, he really sucks. I hate Quintus. Great. Uh, yeah. Pulo showing up, chucking coin like multiple it's pretty great it's pretty good him living a lavish he's being carried down the street and then he chucks coin at all the people who carried him and then he enters the thing and he's like oh i guess i gotta beat this guy up he's got this gorgeous <laughs> turquoise toga yeah uh -huh. and he comes walking in immediately like reads the whole situation uh him and Varenis like kicking the snot at all poppy dudes. i really i love the whole thing and the way yeah. that like then it evolves into like then looking for the buddy is like uh and, and Varenis is able to just like like he's retired. He's like officially oh, yeah. quit the whole thing, right? And and like he's just like, This is an order. And Pula like snaps to attention again. Like he's he's a soldier for a guy that we've seen disregard orders so many times. Like he jumps on these orders pretty quick to go to Caesar and like give the money back. Notably not wearing his turquoise toga. No. He is back oh. in common. He is back sure in his is. common garb. Uh -huh. He sure is. Yep. I like yep. this scene a lot of Caesar being like, uh, he, he kind of reads him. He kind of knows exactly who, who, uh, who Pulo is when he's like, um, thank you for like, deliver we, we shall not like reprimand you. In fact, I think we shall like reward you, but maybe next time, 
You know, don't do don't that. break the law. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally it's unacceptable. Uh, it's really fun. I like that. J- just these guys are like really effective. You know, they're like these two are quite like um like tag team. I know you're like a big wrestling fan. Yeah, like they really are like this dynamic duo that like it feels like they're unstoppable together. Lest we forget, the two of them have suffered some like grievous injury over these four episodes of already, and they're still yeah. just like kicking the snot out of people in the dining room with no swords even it's good stuff i the veronis being like hey you gotta go give quintus to caesar and give him all the money he's like absolutely not and then immediately like being like fine i'll deal with it and he leaves and he goes and gives quintus to caesar and gives him all the money is my brother and i are both very stubborn and i feel like sometimes like if one of us like will really like you know dig our heels in like he'll be like grace you like really should do that you should do this mm-hmm. and I'll be like no that's wrong and then five minutes later i'll be like yeah, I really should have done exactly okay, my brother. That, yeah, thing. I'll go yeah. do the thing. You know, that's exactly <laughs> what it feels like. You don't know. You, I know what I'm doing. And then he leaves and does exactly what Veronis tells him. I thought was was very funny. Yeah. It's really good. I love the whole beat of them showing up to Veronis and, and him like just actually ignorant. Again, like we're doing this thing where like the actual communication gaps, like it's happened again and again and again, right? From Pompey's like maneuver in the Senate that like Mark Anthony doesn't do the right thing. Like nobody told Mark Anthony what his job was. And so he doesn't do it, right? Yeah. To like the even like Caesar marching back and thinking like, I can't believe Pompey did this, right? The whole like idea that like the gold gets stolen. And Pompey thinks like Caesar did it and Caesar has no clue that the gold is even like out there, you know, and, and Pulo's like out living up and ultimately Pulo could have like rode off into the sunset and got away scot-free, but he actually is a good bro. He's like coming to see his friend for Ennis and be like, all right, listen, man, I'm rich. Let's go retire. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it's a real endearing little moment of a guy that we spent a long time talking about, like actually where does he fall on any kind of like moral scale on an alignment chart? Art, right uh because i i like don't know that he's necessarily just neutral right um mm-hmm. i don't know these two are infinitely compelling and, and just to go back to where you started of like it's your least favorite episode this was my favorite stuff of this episode so like i can relate to that right mm-hmm. i'm really appreciating like the surface level like fun of veronis and pulo on my like return to rome after 17 years or whatever it's been it's such a nice counterbalance to like the seriousness of everything else that's yeah and, and it is interesting like i do think letting the birds go and you know as we said that caesar is has been seen to be pretty good and this is the first indication that i mean i mean earlier in the episodes when he's like literally goes to the auger and he's like oh, i think i'm mr wife's birthday and like, just like keeps mm-hmm. upping the that feels bad negotiating wouldn't that man have taken a hundred thousand whatever unit of coin they use it feels like he he way overpays but but it's supply and demand you know like he's got the one thing that caesar really needs and he's the only guy in town grace there's a little bit of like yeah, well sure. we could kill him and like replace him but like he, he's willing to do what it takes i i love mark anthony like balking at it too and caesar's just like gotta do what he's gotta do man but he does pay a lot of money is lot. it i think the guy's name is something like pasco is like his like a, who's just like my god he's midas over here <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i, th- yeah. I think uh, i could be getting that name wrong but i believe that's uh it's that's like it. his consigliere 
Um, the only thing I want to touch on again, I feel like this has been pretty slow moving, but Octavia is not going to let go of the fact that her mother might have killed her husband. It does act, ask her brother, Octavia, who's like, I actually don't think she did it. Um, and Octavia is basically going to be like, well, if she did, I think I'm going to like really murder her. And, <laughs> and then she gives a delightful poem uh, when asked if she can read off some poetry. And she says, basically, it's easy to get into hell. It's pretty hard to get out of hell. <laughs> the poem she delivers it's pretty fantastic again this whole notion of like trust building it and breaking it i love um octavian it's like a really small throwaway line almost where she's like come on talk entertain and he's like i can't you know i can't talk small that's right he's such a pretentious little snot you know he's like if i'm not talking about philosophy i got nothing and again the way like so much of this stuff has permeated modern culture and like we're talking about cesarean sections and like salads venereal like temple like all this stuff like this stuff is part of our lives and our day-to-day in a way that i think like it's a little bit of a meme that like got us here to like the fall of rome but nonetheless i do think there's so much of it that permeates our day-to-day culture that is like invisible to the modern eye unless like you pointedly step back and like uh, consider the origins of these like turns of phrase the amount of like the way that like uh, the, the romance languages are influenced by latin and like driven by the roman empire Empire and like this huge civilization informs i don't know the modern era of the last two thousand years in such a profound and like inexorable way it's really fun to like revisit that as we talk through it yeah all right let's send some folks into the coliseum i believe you went first last I did. time you are up i have two people i think they're pretty obvious i'm interested if you take the other one that i do not take but i think uh, I gave it, I, I put in Atia last week because I thought that even if her behavior is abhorrent, it's pretty well crafted. So I think I got to mm-hmm. go with Caesar here, who, while I think this is bad to pay off the auger to get a good omen, I think it's, he has a great episode. He, it's, it's, it's good for him. He gets the, you know, continues the adoration of the people. Um, he lucks into finding some money um, that he didn't really have in the first place. And now he's got a boatload of it. So I, I think this is a good episode for Caesar. I'm going to put Caesar in the Coliseum. Yeah, that's pretty good. I am of two minds, you know. Part of me wants to like jump right to Pulo because he rolls up and that was who else I was thinking. Yeah, I'm like really inclined. A little bit of me is like considering, like, am I overlooking how effectively like Niobe manages this dysfunctional dinner party at the house because she does manage to like uh like sustain her conspiracy through all of it like pulo sees through the cracks at the end but that's only because like pulo just shows up at the exact right moment I although veronis is just like that was a real bad omen that the feast didn't go well huh like yeah <laughs> they can never come party. back again your sister yeah, can never right. come back to our house you yeah. know again yeah. to like speak to like veronis a little bit i'm gonna go back to titus pulo he's just too yeah. fun like him showing up on like the like being carried on the palanquin you know he's it's still got the good. girl from the wagon grace i know it i know it's like great. her life's a lot better since after the fact the throwing the gold in the air to get the peasants to charge into the room and disrupt the soldiers is like such brilliant stuff like take note D players this is really good you know this is outside the box thinking grace i think i gotta give it to titus pulo just for like the hype and then the fact that like ultimately again like he's just coming back to like come visit his friend and be like hey we're rich we're rich like i got more money (laughs) i can have 
Trevor's friend. He Let's comes back away. again. He comes back again at the end of the episode. He's like it, back exactly. again. Exactly. And yeah. then like he follows his old commander's orders, even though his old commander is not his old commander anymore. And he wouldn't follow the orders when he was his commander. And they're mm-hmm. actually on the battlefield, Grace. It's yeah. all very fun. Titus Pulo is like the beating heart of this show, you know. Do you have an edge there between uh, Pulo and Caesar? I will say, no matter who wins, they become our first two-time winner in the Coliseum. Oh, very they each, They want Caesar was there. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? Do you think that we were like obligated to give it to Caesar because of his ability to like manage power and pay off the auger? Well, it's it's tough because I feel like if you're ever going to go one on one between Pulo and Caesar, Caesar, if he's had a good episode, has much more at his disposal to be able yes. to do than Pulo ever does. So part of me is like, you know, do you give the edge to the little guy because it's like more impressive that he does so with less power the only the only knock i'd give caesar in this episode is that i think his wife calpurnia knows exactly where he's going at the end of the Mm -hmm. night um but i feel like he has pulo this is a very pulo light episode probably the lightest of all four and so i'm tempted to give it to caesar because i think that's super fair Think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's super fair. I really like um we talked about it, but the touch of like the reveal of the epilepsy, the fact that, you know, he's he's able to accomplish all this uh despite like, you know, the challenges that he personally has to overcome and like compartmentalize that in a way. Hey, and he hid it from me for almost two thousand years. I know, that's pretty effective. And meanwhile, he's <laughs> out here like tweeting left and right. Uh uh-huh. I I think it's very fair to give it to Caesar. I'm more than happy to acquiesce in these in these uh, gladiatorial combats. All right. Um, do you have a scene you want to highlight, uh, or a, a piece of dialogue, or anything in particular you want to put a microscope on? I really love the aftermath of the fight. I keep talking about it, but it struck me like the yeah. things that are like hitting me as I revisit the show are like the things that didn't stay with me, obviously. And the way that Pulo so immediately responds as like, as Veronis is like, that's an order. And Pulo like snaps to attention. You know, it, there is this soldier in him that like cannot, he can't be anybody else except what he is, you know? And I just love the way that that, scene lands and like plays between the two of them of like Verona like no you go clean up your own mess like you take care of it and then uh, it ending with like Pulo throwing Lieutenant Harry Peacock over his shoulder as he like walks out the door it's very fun it's very fun pretty good I really liked the life is water not stone that I suppose I will drown but I think I'm going to try to as much as possible see this is how I cheat I'm like that thing was really good but I already talked about it and I'm going to talk about something else which is Big, big props to, I, I don't know if she is a slave or a servant, but Servilla's, uh, who does her makeup. And then it's yes. just like completely hyping her up to the nth degree. It's like, like he hasn't seen a woman in eight years, but like, when did he see a, be- a woman as beautiful as you? It's so good. That's, that's what I want. You know, I don't have servants, but if I did, I would love them to hype me up as much as Servilla's servant hypes up. She might be a slave also. So I, you know, I think uh, she's a slave, but like I go know. back to the death of Pompey's wife in the very beginning. And she's like saying like, take care of my slaves. Right. right. I'm not trying to like at all paint a charitable picture on slavery here, you guys. But I do think like the relationships are different, you know, like this yeah. is clearly somebody that's important to her, whether she's a servant or a slave, uh, like the, the impact is relevant. Uh, that's really fun. I would have had to give it to you if you went with the waterline, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love the, I really do love the, uh, so there's also the graffiti of uh uh, uh well, caesar tyrannus and then he's uh yeah doing some 
fellatio. So yeah. There sure is. There's a lot of graffiti on the wall. So there is a ton of Roman graffiti that has yeah. been extracted by historians. And it's part of where we like put together the pieces of the picture. It's offered like really important puzzle pieces that are not like kept in the high chronicles of record of right. leadership, you know. And right. and I think that that's like brilliant to give us a depiction. Again, like when historians talk about the show, they talk about how crass and vulgar and all of that stuff over the top the culture was uh, certainly amongst like the, the civilians the peasants the small folk as it were yeah very fun all right that's episode four we'll be back tomorrow with season one episode five the ram has touched the wall uh the name the names of these episodes right they're really good right they're pretty wild they're all over the place yeah um, fantastic a good a good episode title goes a long way Who's stealing from Saturn in this episode? Last week we talked about who the owl in the thornbush was. We believed it was to uh, Brutus, but who stole from Saturn? That's a uh, really Caesar? great question. So, so Saturn is a titan. He's the god of harvest, agriculture, the father of Jupiter, Neptune, and Pluto. Uh, I think, I think it's Caesar, right? I think it's Caesar, and ultimately, like the augur, right? Like they're all corrupt. They're just like they're stealing like his approval, his glory. Uh, it's a little bit of the money, also, right? Like is literally being stolen out of Pompey's hands, which was done by Pluto but ultimately Caesar stealing it to like pay the piper to then like steal oh. the tacit approval of the gods right oh. the temple of Saturn in the Roman forum has the state treasury mm -hmm. so yeah literally yeah. stealing from Saturn so I guess it's Apollo a little bit and then and then kind of is it kind of is but I think uh yeah it's it's, yeah. it's Caesar via Apollo yeah yeah all right so next next uh episode tomorrow the ram has touched the wall in the meantime rich where can people find you at DM Philly on Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh, I am on Twitter at Hi from Grace. We're also in the Discord if you want to chat with us. There should be a Rome channel or a thread in there, so check that out. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, we're thinking about Rome every single day. Bye.